This is the 70th edition of WFAE Talks. Hello, I'm News Director Greg Collard, and I am joined by Assistant News Director Lisa Worf, also our education reporter, and political reporter Tom Bullock. Hey, guys. Hey there. Hello. (laughs) Glad this week's coming to an end. Oh, yes. Yes. Tom, you guys have all had a, a long week. So all, yes. Yeah. We've had yeah, the elections long, but... and the fun drive, which takes a lot out of staff, too. And uh, I want to thank everyone for supporting us, by the way. And uh, it was nice for to get sure. the get the, get the the uh, drive done early. It was because, really uh, nice. Because when we hit our goal, uh, we went off the air at 5 o'clock Thursday. We were scheduled to go through uh, Friday evening. Yeah, and so. I actually, I've never uh, pitched, begged for money uh, up until like the last, you know, hour or something. And that was really fun mm-hmm. just to hear all the calls coming in and knowing that it was almost over and being like, yeah, you, you asked for money and, and people are generous. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing the morning, so I slept through it. Were you actually on air when it ended? Uh, no, but I was, it ended at five and then I I pitched until four. So oh, wow. I we did get a, we did get a good flurry in the afternoon. We did. It was great. It was like just nonstop you could hear the phone ringing so but thank you to everyone and it it is nice to hear we hear a lot of nice things uh, at at fun drive that is one of the nice things about it and for sure uh, feels good to be complimented (laughs) on to the news uh we're going to talk politics we're not going to talk really about the presidential race i figure we've all heard enough about the presidential race this week uh we're going to focus on the governor's race the u.s senate race and the 12th district congressional race and also get into cms uh, some things that are going on there. First of all, Tom, the race for governor, we uh, have Pat McCrory versus Roy Cooper. And I'm going to play a clip here from Roy Cooper on election night. He clearly has a, a plan to try to tie Governor McCrory to Donald Trump. There will be nothing less at stake than the heart and soul of North Carolina this November. Are we really ready for a Trump McCrory ticket? No. I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, McCrory, for his part, he released a Facebook video message. He didn't really mention the race much. He he made some references to the type of governor we need, but it was more about praising voters for passing the bond, the Connect NC bond. So not really uh, any anything that addresses the upcoming election, uh, the general election. Yeah, no, and it's it's funny to me because it makes it – Ray Cooper, the reason I was laughing there is he's almost making it sound as if uh, we know who Trump would pick as his uh, VP candidate on that ticket. Um, yes. But it's, <laughs> it's funny because this is actually something I've seen in email form up to this point where um, the Democratic Party here in North Carolina is doing absolutely everything they can to tie – Pat McCrory to Donald Trump. And first of all, you know, Pat McCrory is one of the huge number of Republican establishment figures who has come right out and said, I will support our party, our party's nominee for president. So he's taking the I'm not going to say anything here because, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to say anything here um, kind of role. But the Democrats clearly see this as a wonderful way to um differentiate the Republican Party and the Democratic candidate. If you can lump everything in the Republican Party onto Donald Trump, then they think it's going to help motivate out uh, their base. And you've got to realize, you know, we've been sitting here um, literally sitting through a would-be Roy Cooper, Pat McCrory showdown for quite some time. I mean, for over a year, everybody knew it was going to come down to this. They both breezed through their primaries. And, you know, McCrory, there's some interesting things there we could talk about, but 
Um, everybody thinks now um, that this is going to be the hottest governor's race in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. the Cook Political Report came right out and said, this is the one to watch. And governors are really interesting uh, when it comes to races because, you know, you can argue whether or not they really have that much of a role besides the day-to-day kind of stuff of a uh, of a state, but they're hugely symbolic to the parties. And the Republicans love the fact that right now, I think they've got a third, I think 33 of the 50 governors are Republicans. They love the fact there's a majority. Um, and Pat McCrory has been held up. I mean, he's on, you know, national news on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the Democrats can take North Carolina, you know, there, you can make an argument that that uh, a Democratic governor wouldn't have a whole lot that they could do with the Republican majority or, or supermajority in the legislature. Uh, but it would be a huge symbolic win, especially in the South. It's also, it's also funny, I mean, because McCrory has had so many uh, clashes with the legislature exactly. that it's hard for him to get the things he wants to do done. They overturn his vetoes. You know, and the puppy, the puppy yes. mill bill and the vetoes and, I mean, all sorts of stuff. I mean, you mentioned the bond. He was at this, the, the bond party in mm-hmm. Raleigh. And, of course, it's called the Connect NC bond because when Pat McCrory originally threw it out there, it was actually a much larger bond proposal that had a whole lot of money for roads. And Mm -hmm. it was the Senate, the North Carolina Senate, that stripped all of the road money away. So you end up with Connect NC bond with no connections in NC. Now, we've actually had some discussions, Tom, about whether it's fair to say that Governor McCrory supports Donald Trump by the comment of, I will support the Republican nominee. Mm -hmm. I've been on the side of that as a, a previous life, life working for a gubernatorial candidate in West Virginia, uh, and the people, the party establishment, did not like that candidate, and they all they would say was, "We support the nominee of the party," and it was clear we knew they didn't support us. It was a way for them to not distance, ups, ups, to distance themselves to distance themselves, but not upset people in the party too and so i I, so what what, have you have you thought any more about my argument on that or do you (laughs) i think i overheard this argument i I absolutely have i mean there are two ways you can say that you have you know you can say that they're just going to go along with what the party overall decides and i think in the past that's absolutely accurate take on it this year i don't think so because Mm -hmm. you still are looking at a very real um, contested it, it, convention for the Republicans. It's, it, it is it is at a higher level now. That's, and, I, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, and when you get to the point of, well, my party's nominee is, say, someone other than Donald Trump, even mm-hmm. though he won the most delegates, now you're talking a whole different ballgame. Right. This goes back a few weeks when, we're, uh, when we had this discussion. Now it's really in the last uh, week and a half, or, uh, really, especially since Tuesday night, where there's just been more discussion about what the Republican Party is going to do mm-hmm. um, as far as a broker convention or trying to find a, th- a third party candidate. Uh, I said I wouldn't be getting into presidential politics, and look what I did. Yeah, that's okay. Everybody, <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to do that right now. It's true. <laughs> well, there's uh, another race. Uh, former state representative Dem- Deborah Ross, a Democrat, will be going against Republican incumbent Senator Richard Burr. Uh, no surprise there on who won the uh, Democratic nominee. Certainly not the Republican nomination, but uh, no surprise really about Deborah Ross winning that. Well, the one surprise I would throw in there is the margin of victory because, you know, Deborah Ross doesn't have huge name recognition, at least not before Tuesday. Her mm-hmm. uh, her three uh, opponents in the Democratic primary also didn't have huge name recognition, but everybody was wondering, eh, could this be like a, a a more even split? People confused, either skip it or just – you know, the votes end up being equaled out somewhat. She won by like six, I think she had 65% of the vote. So she won a commanding victory. 
Um, going up against Burr, that's not a huge surprise. I mean, power of incumbency, all of that. Um, you know, he's a he's a well-respected Republican senator. But what's interesting is normally, and again, now we get back to the the Trump effect or whatever it is. Normally, in this kind of race, in any other year. Richard Burr would be a huge favorite to hold that seat without question against a relatively unknown, uh, you know, opponent with very little money. And he's sitting on a huge war chest. So now between Supreme Court nominations being, you know, some would say obstructionist Republicans in the Senate, at least, mm-hmm. you know, coming right out and being like, we're, we will not you know, have a hearing on the president's Supreme Court nominee. Um, between uh, the coattail effects of Donald Trump and of Hillary Clinton, you know, both presumed to, they're certainly the front runners. I mean, Hillary Clinton is almost, almost to the point where she's obviously the Democrats nominee. Mm-hmm. She's getting very close to that. Um, you could really see something here. This could be one of those years where all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, there's this Democratic rival that no one saw coming and ends up winning. I mean, that yeah. is, in essence, what happened with Kay Hayes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and we could see the same thing happening here. What's her fundraising like? Well, it's not huge. Um, I mean, I think she raised – it was less than a million dollars, I believe. And it's pretty respectable for somebody who is, you know, very little name recognition. But a lot of that came after, in a very surprise move, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee endorsed her before there was even a prime – the primary was even held. Uh, Plus, Emily's List, uh, another, you know, big Democratic group endorsed Deborah Ross. And money came through that. But you didn't see Deborah Ross go to the airwaves. You didn't really see television ads. At least I didn't. I didn't see or hear any radio ads. Um, There were mailers – that were sent out, but mailers are really cheap compared to television ads and radio ads. Um, so she, you know, I think she's trying to hold onto that cash as much as she can. Obviously, now that she is the nominee, the pace will pick up. Oh, money's going to roll in. It's going to roll and in. And the Emily's list, uh, Emily's, uh, it stands for early money is like yeast. And they they have a very strong database of supporters. They get they get candidates before them, and money comes in from all across the country. Mm-hmm. And and it will flow, especially, again, let's let's look at this. Take, the, again, the presidential politics and put it on the side, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the, the just the ground game and the stakes between the governor and U.S. Senate, the next two steps on the ballot. The governor's race, as we just said, is going to be the hottest in the nation, tons of money rolling in. Underneath that, you've got a U.S. Senate race where Richard Burr at one point was considered the most vulnerable Republican Mm -hmm. up. You've got Democrats seeing potential opportunity with a hypothetical Donald Trump ticket to not only take or hold the presidency, but to potentially take back the Senate. So Democrats will spend tons of money here, Democrats writ large, for the presidential stuff but also on the governor's race. And an easy way to kind of shore that up is to also come from underneath with the U.S. Senate race. So that way you're just getting hit with all of these, you know, positive messages about Democrats, negative messages about Republicans, and it all kind of coalesces when it's done right. And I've seen this done in other areas where they don't just target a single race, but they target a few to get a bigger bang for their buck. So, you know, we really didn't see a huge surge of ads here for the primary we will before the general election comes around. One of the things I found interesting about Deborah Ross's primary, both of her Democratic opponents, one of their arguments to voters was that she is very vulnerable because she was uh, used to be head of the state ACLU. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was she, also a lobbyist. Yes, and a lobbyist. 
she dismissed those claims, those concerns about the ACLU. Uh, however, I go into her website and look at her bio. She doesn't mention her experience as head of the ACLU, yeah. which makes me think that that maybe that that will be a problem for her within in, in motivating the Republican base, and that the Republicans are certainly going to point that out. And I find it really confusing because you know the classic adage with politics is turn a weakness into a strength, and mm-hmm. with a Democratic base. Being the head of the ACLU yeah. is a very positive thing, especially in a state where the Democratic base is largely, like the core of that base, I should say, is African-American. You know, Deborah Ross, Deborah Ross is a Caucasian woman, but being the head of the ACLU can make you even a broader, uh, have broader appeal for an African-American base. I don't understand why she isn't playing to it. It doesn't always turn off conservatives either. That's true. <laughs> ACLU yeah. has done a lot of things in behalf of uh, the you know, going to going to battle for conservative mm-hmm. uh, for issues that are are important to conservatives too. My personal bet is that they won't target her as much for being the head of the ACLU as they will for being a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. And, it, and officially, it was a train. She was she became the head of a, tra- a pro transportation group out in the Raleigh area. So she was lobbying for transportation funding. Yeah, Go Triangle. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. right? And that would be like transit as well as roads. Yep. The other uh, race, I think it's going to be just really interesting. It's actually not going to have to wait till the uh, general election, the primary for the congressional elections that we're going to have in June. It, it appears it, it's not certain yet, considering not court certified, not, not court certified morning. with the new congressional districts. But Alma Adams, uh, Congresswoman from the twelfth district, is uh, moving to Charlotte, uh, where the new twelfth district is going to be all is going to be entirely within Mecklenburg County. She's moving from the Greensboro area. And also, she will have a strong uh, opponent in the Democratic primary, Malcolm Graham, who opposed her two years ago. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he got most of the votes in Mecklenburg County uh, at that time. But she came out far uh, ahead because she she got a lot of bo- votes from outside of Mecklenburg County. So certainly uh, last week she came uh, into Charlotte to make her announcement that she plans to move and it was hard for her to say exactly where she is in the process of of the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said she's looking around. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she, she made a big case for saying, hey, look, I've represented uh, Charlotte. You know, I, I got you funding for – I helped get you funding for a lot of these things. Uh, the things she mentioned were things like light rail and stuff that um, – I think a lot of that had been in the process of getting I think funded, so, yes. but, um, but yeah, I mean, she was she was certainly trying to um, connect herself to what could very well be her her new district. And Malcolm Graham was a former as a former Charlotte City Councilman and former state senator. Yeah, uh, he's promoting things uh, his. His support for Time Warner Cable Arena, which I found really interesting because at the time that was very controversial when it sure. went up. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is more embraced nowadays. But Yeah, yeah. I think uh, some people have forgotten. A lot of newcomers don't know about right. the, the, the controversy there. But, um, yeah, I mean, his argument was that I've had a, you know, a, a hand in a lot of the things that we think are very um, Charlotte, you know, mm-hmm. development over the last um, couple, you know, 15 years or so. Um, so yeah, he he surely is a well known name here. So, mm-hmm. so uh, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting, <laughs> and it'll be an interesting way to campaign as someone from Greensboro who's um, suddenly has a whole new district on her hands. Right, that'll be interesting. What what? How much is the power of incumbency when you're essentially going to an entire new district? I mean, yes, uh, yeah. Charlotte was a little a little sliver of it was in the twelfth district, but. 
it's for the most part, it's an entirely new district. And I think she was saying, you know, look, I, I got a lot of support from Charlotte. You know, 80 percent of uh, voters here in Charlotte voted for me. I think that's the number she gave. But of course, that was the general. That was the general election, right? And and mm. the district is very Democrat. So yes, the choice was between a Democrat and a Republican. And it was such a tiny portion and of Charlotte, it, too. Well, you know what? I think it was. I think it was a decent chunk. It, of it was a decent, yeah, chunk. Because I, I I always think of that district as being really skinny and right. and whatever. But when you look at that map, it it was a pretty sizable chunk of okay. of Charlotte. It, it was nowhere near, you know, how big of a chunk of uh, Mecklenburg County it is now. Okay. So that election will be June 7th. Correct. Well, correct. Uh, appears Asterisk. to be. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Well, let's move on to education, Lisa. Yes. <laughs> CMS. I thought it was a really interesting story you had this week about the town of Matthews exploring how to succeed from CMS. Exactly. And so they, they've been making some noises for a while uh, over the student assignment discussions that, you know, maybe we should start investigating this. And this week, their uh, town council said, yes, we are going to make a, a resolution and we are going to put the steps into place for, you know, just looking at how you would do this. How would you break away from CMS? The other thing they want to look at is um, what would you have to do if the town of Matthews wanted to form its own network of charter schools, operate them? Um, so, yeah, I talked to the mayor and they're putting together a task force that is looking in very broad terms what this would require. Um, and, of course, before Matthews can really, you know, do anything, they need the, the legislature's approval for creating a new uh, district. And that's been tried before. Uh, Mecklenburg County, parts of Mecklenburg County have tried to split off. Yeah, Northern or, Mecklenburg County, especially a few, about some, a decade some ago. The, you know, parents in some of the suburbs have, mm-hmm. have taken a proposal to the legislature back in 2005, I, I believe it was. And it was, it was turned down, but of course it was a different Absolutely. legislature that's, at that point. That's why I find it so interesting because it's such a, a different legislature and this legislature has Definitely shown a willingness to get involved in uh, in local matters. Uh, I, I can't. Sure. Uh, I think I would think this legislature would be much more receptive to this request. I talked to Senator Bob Rucho, mm-hmm. and he he said, "Yeah, I mean, I, I would support that if if you know they make a good case. I mean, right now, uh, as he sees it, he's unhappy with CMS, and he's sort of informally heard complaints. And um, at this point." Uh, Senator Jeff Tart, uh, representing Northern Mecklenburg County, was a little bit more measured in mm-hmm. what he said. I mean, he said, yeah, if they can make a very good case that uh, includes what this would mean financially, uh, would include getting CMS at the table, um, then, yeah, it would be seriously considered. But They'd have to force CMS to give up, give up its buildings if they were going to. Yeah, I mean, that's in, a in thing, the right? Yeah. I mean, that is yeah, well, CMS-owned property. Exactly. So do they have to buy it from CMS or do, does the state just claim it through a, in, almost like an educational eminent domain? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's unclear to me, but I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't well, imagine this. state. They get a lot of state funding. <laughs> they do get a lot of state funding, um, but it's operating funding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, their, their capital mm-hmm. money comes from the county. So I think that would be a real difficult thing. But I think that's the point that uh, Senator Tart was making and saying that you need to have CMS at the table mm-hmm. and collaborate on how exactly this is going to happen because you get down to the knit and grit. And so, I mean, he said, hey, this is certainly not something that's going to be overnight. And, and Matthew's mayor, Jim Taylor, agreed. He said, we just want to know 
you know, a, what it would take so that we can then make a clear decision about is this feasible or not. So what is their complaint? The complaint is that um, there is a concern that with the new student assignment plan uh, that kids will not be going, will not be guaranteed a seat in a, in a school that's close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is in what are called the guiding principles now, a homeschool guarantee. Mm-hmm. And the school board, um, they have said, hey, we don't want to bus kids across the county. Uh, you know, we, we want to tweak student assignments in such a way that you know, we reduce concentrations of poverty, but they did not put this in, this is a very long process, but they did not put this into their goals, which will ultimately go into their guiding principles. Um, so and I, we get so many parents are, are skeptical that, um, you know, I, that their kids w- will, uh, won't, won't be forced to, you know, go many miles away. And speaking of that, there was a they had this big uh, community survey, the student assignment survey, was that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and people were, fair to say, overwhelmingly said that they are not willing to put their kids on a bus for long distances for the sake of diversity. Well, that's what it turned out to say. Exactly. That's what it, but that's not what CMS said it said. It said. Said, said the results were. Exactly. So there's this survey that uh, parents, community members uh, would take about, you know, how, how important are a lot of factors in mm-hmm. a school. And, um, you know, one of those is going to a school that's close to home, going to a school that's diverse, uh, whether that's racially or economically. But, um, you know, when we were ta- we were talking about it, after I went to this meeting, um, you know, it was interesting because it's this 235 pages of results mm-hmm. and you know, people value diversity to some extent, but, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't overwhelming extent. And then you got to the, you know, how, how far are you willing to send your put your kid on a bus uh, so that they, you know, have diversity at their schools? And I said, Craig, it's really weird because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of parents that said they were willing to do that. And um, didn't make sense. <laughs> and it didn't. And it didn't make sense. And we did not do a story on the survey, but uh, the Charlotte Observer did. And um, parents, you know, they 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 read the the survey results from the article, and um, so, some meticulous parents went through the survey and said, no, they they tallied that up all wrong when you look at the districts, and uh, no, the overwhelmingly uh, parents do not want to put their kids on buses. Um, longer bus rides to ensure diversity. And, and CMS um, said, yeah, we, you know, we miscalculated this. You're right. Now, how the heck did CMS make this mistake? I, I, it just, it, especially it, for something this important, this where sensitive. You would, yeah, yeah. Where trust is such a key thing. And, and, and run and, the numbers again. And Lisa, you talked to me on the um, phone that night. I'm, and and we're just this doesn't make sense at all. That's the first reaction we have, mm-hmm. and we hold we hold off on the story in part because of that because it just we're not going to figure this out tonight. We want to make sure this is correct, and it just didn't it just doesn't didn't make sense. Did that not go through anyone's mind? <laughs> See, we didn't we weren't going to figure it out that night. I just it it, it amazes me. <laughs> yeah, What's their, I mean, what is their excuse? <laughs> well, CMS told told the Observer that they they realized that. The labels were flipped, and I don't exactly know what what that means. But um, you know, the, 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 it, it was not an intentional. It, it just it <laughs> went against every other finding. It just was a total, such an outlier. I, it amazes me that they didn't 
do more to figure out why it was such an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Lisa, back to Matthews. Uh, what what is the next stage? When is this when is this task force going to meet? What what are what's going to happen now? They hope to actually have a task force uh, by the end of this week or next week, pretty pretty soon. They've been talking to state lawmakers, a couple state lawmakers about this too. But um, yeah, timeline, they, they really weren't sure too much about the timeline, how long this would take to figure out. I did ask them though, you know, if, if student assignment plans come back and, and there is a guarantee for homeschools, does this derail things? Uh, does this mean you aren't going to continue to investigate? And they said, no, we'll continue. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, this is the 70th edition in the bag. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. To you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, both of you have a great weekend. Deserve some rest and uh, get ready to come back hard at work on Monday. That's me whistling my way to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right.